the book entitled Understanding Women is now in paperback. That's volume one, you're right. <laughs> Understanding man's a little pamphlet. It's just a... So obviously, relationships can be complex, especially when the principles involved view life from different perspectives. So you can understand when the creator of life connects with someone, a human who's trying to find life, how complex that can be. So when God shows up to Abraham and says, I am. See, there's a whole lot of gods around Abraham, but this God shows up and says, I am. You are who? The I am means that before all the stuff you see started, I was there. I've always been there. And when all this stuff is gone, I'll still be here. And I'm right here with you now. I am. And I want to have a relationship with you. And so God leads Abraham on this journey to understanding this God. And, and if you read it through, you realize that he has to keep getting these understandings of who he is because it's just, it's beyond his ability to, to really grasp. And so he, he, falters forward in faith and finally grasps and he gets a hold and he lets go and it's back and forth, but he's learning as he begins to understand this God and how to have a relationship with him. And so God says to him, I want to show you my miraculous power because I know that, that you and your wife Sarah really, really, really want something. And so even though you are beyond childbearing years and because you have no children, I'm going to give you a child. So they do have a child. They named that child Isaac, which means laughter, because they were in their 90s when they gave birth. If in my 90s I give birth, I am not laughing. It's not happening. And so God says, out of this child will come a great nation, and it does. It's called Israel. And from Israel will come the one who will fix this broken world. And he does. We sang about him today. His name is Jesus. He goes right to the heart of the brokenness of this world called sin and the ugly consequences of that sin called death. And he confronts them and he's victorious over them. And in his resurrection, he then guarantees that heaven and earth will again intersect and the earth will be flooded with justice. And oh, we need justice and peace and glory. And that word glory is such a, such an ethereal term for us. So let me just help you. Glory is that, that thing about God, that brilliance of God, that, that quality of God that clothed Adam and Eve in the garden and kept them from any shame so that they were in perfect relationship with each other and with their creator. And they were in need of absolutely nothing. And so here's the tension we face. It's a constant tension. We want God's glory, and we want our own glory. We want God, but we want control. When God says to you, if you will trust me, I will take care of everything you, you need, we say, great, we'll take that, but here's some stuff you forgot. I want that stuff. 
So that's the tough part of the journey, and that journey is a relationship, and what we call that relationship is simply this covenant. And covenant says, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my life, which, which covenant would mean, if I'm going to covenant with you, I would say, here's all my stuff, everything that I have, it belongs to you. And you would say, everything I got belongs to you. So when God says, I want a covenant relationship, we're saying, here, take everything in my life, and God, I believe that you'll give me everything from the resources that you have. So God says to Abraham, trust me with your life, and I will bless you beyond counting. You can't count how much I will bless you. And Abraham says, got it. Let's go for it. But I want to warn you, in this walk with Jesus, in this following God, when we put our trust in him and say we got it, he will test our trust. It's one of the most amazing stories you'll ever read. Abraham has this promised child from whom will come the nation and from the nation will come the one who will put the world back together again. And God says to him, just out of the blue, if you read the story, it is just, it just shocks you. He says, take your son Isaac and go up to this mountain and sacrifice him to me. Now, we're, we're okay with that because the beginning of the story as it's narrated says, and God tested Abraham. So we go, oh, it's a test. We're okay. But put yourself in Abraham's spot. God tells you that, but he's been developing this trust. And so now, now as you read the narrative, what's interesting is there is no dialogue except there's a description that he goes and gets the donkey and he goes and finds the wood and he gets his son and he gets his servants and he heads up towards the mountain. And the first one to break the silence is his son. Isaac says, so where's the lamb we're sacrificing? You, it just rips your heart out because you know the story. And Abraham says... God will provide. So he takes him up to the mountain. They make the altar. They put the wood there. He binds his son, takes the knife, and already in his mind that son is dead. He's about ready to plunge the knife into that child, and we don't get it. And somehow in his mind, somehow in Abraham's mind, he's got this thought, I'm giving my son up, I'm sacrificing him, but somehow God's going to take care of this. And just before he plunges the knife into his son, the Scripture says this in Genesis 22. Do not lay a hand on the boy. This is what God says. Do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son. He stops, he looks, there's a ram caught in a bunch of branches and he sacrifices that ram. And then he calls that place Jehovah Yireh, the God who provides. So I want to tell you, if you're a serious follower of Jesus, there will come a time when you walk with the promises of God and all that you conceive God to be and what he's done for you. And he will test you. He will take that most prized thing that you have that you think that God has given you and he will say, I want that because it belongs to me. And for me to have what I want, God says, because it belongs to me, it will have to die to you. And then you're going to have to trust that I will provide what you need, what you need 
in your loss. And how do you how do you get to that spot? How can you how can you get there? And, and God said to Abraham, "It's now I know because you're willing to do this that you fear me." And that word is really important. What does fear mean? Fear simply means that that God is the one who's in control, that you're trusting him. See, fear fear is not me cowering in the corner saying, if I don't do what God wants me to do, he's going to smack me down. Fear is that somebody else other than God would be in control. God, if you're not in control, everything is chaos. So my fear is, if I don't trust you, it's all going to pieces. So I fear the fact that that if you don't give me your grace and you don't give me your presence, it's all going to fall apart because I can't trust the other gods. I can't trust my friends. I can't trust me because we don't make really good decisions. I have to trust you. So I I put my trust in you. And see, to trust him in that way means we have to trust him with our whole heart. To follow Jesus means it has to be with the whole heart. In fact, that's what God said. Deuteronomy 6, he simply said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Our part of this covenant relationship with God, as he does these things for us, is to love him. To love him with our heart. That, that whole meaning is, is the heart is everything that's inside of you. Your thoughts. Love him with your thoughts. With your emotions. With your decision-making skills and your decisions. Love him. Trust him with all of that. Trust him with your soul. That word soul is actually the life of the person. It is your passion. It's the thing that sparks you, the thing that gets you up in the morning, the thing that really drives you. Love him with that. And love him with all your strength. That word actually means to rake together, to rake it together. It means take all your possessions and everything you have, pull it together, and love him with that stuff, with your entire heart. So you see, it started with Abraham and the heart. It ends up in, in first century A.D. with a paperback book called Understanding God with over 600 rules. It's the law. And Jesus says, or God says, you've totally missed this. So God, God comes down and he says, let's, let's, let's do this thing again. Let's do the Abraham thing again. So he does some miracles and they say, who are you, this God in flesh? And he says, I am. They go, you are? You're the, you're the I am? You're, yeah, I am. Then you understood what he said. They said, well, okay, if you're the I am, what, what are the rules? What do we do to make this whole thing work and make you happy and everything is good? In fact, a religious ruler came to him and said, what's the top one? What are the top rules that we've got to follow to make everything okay with you? And Jesus responds this way in Mark, the 12th chapter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbors yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He said, I want to tell you, it's a heart thing. It's not the rule thing. It's the heart thing. And to show them how extreme this whole covenant heart thing is, he comes back to the Abrahamic sacrifice. Because, you see, Abraham was willing to say, I'll give it all. But this time it's not Abraham. This time it is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, covenant love does not withhold what is good. 
So Jesus spends three years teaching them how to keep from withholding their emotions from God, their decision-making process, their intellect, their, their passion, their, their zeal, and all of their raked-together goods. He says, here's how you do this. And see, Abraham got it. He understood this. Abraham had a nephew named Lot who didn't live too far away but lived in a city called Sodom. And so Mesopotamian kings came through, swept through, and captured everybody in Sodom, took all the, the goods, the bounty, and, and, and headed off with all those captives. And, and, and Lot was one of those and his family that went. Abraham found out, grabbed his guys, went out and rescued and they're bringing back all of these people now with all of these goods that they brought back that had been taken in plus whatever these kings had. They bring it, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of, a lot of stuff. And on the way in, they meet a king, the king of Salem. His name is Melchizedek. And he is a priest and he has a special assignment. He comes out to bless Abraham. And so on God's behalf, he blesses him. Now, Abraham, in response, worships. So understand what worship is. Worship is an encounter with God and the right response. And so what he does is he takes one-tenth of all the stuff that they've got and he gives it to God. He then makes his way further, comes to the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom says, give me the people and you keep all the stuff. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. The guys that came with me, they can have some of the stuff. The rest of it goes to you because I told my God that I would not take anything from you so that it can never be said that you, the king of Sodom, made me rich. See, Abraham understood the covenant. And it's this, that God was his source. That's covenant, that's a relationship. God's going to take care of me. And he understood the response. So Abraham understood worship. And the worship is simply this, that the tithe, the 10%, goes to the Lord. The one in charge gets the stuff. And that's where Abraham's heart connected with God. Hundreds of years later, when God said, Moses, go get my people out of Egypt and bring that nation that I promised, and let's get them to the promised land and get this, this thing going. He said, but what I need to do is that because the heart of the people keep flitting back and forth, they're going back and forth, the heart loves me and then it doesn't like me and it goes and worships idols and it doesn't follow me and it disobeys and the heart's going back and forth and they're not loving me with all their heart and their emotion and they're, they're not doing any of that stuff, so I need to keep them close to me, so I'm going to give you some rules. I'm going to give you some guidelines. I'm going to give you some laws. And here are the laws and the purpose of those laws are not for them to last forever, but only keep them in boundaries so that their heart will stay close to me because those boundaries simply are a reflection of what they should be normally doing when they love God with all their heart. And so he has these, these regulations, these rules, and one of those rules that came from all of this is simply these words that, that God told them in Leviticus 27, verse 30. He says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, is holy to the Lord. He said, it's holy to the Lord, means it's dedicated to God. So here's the simple thing. Abraham said, here's my expression of worship. And God said, let's keep that going, even though you people don't quite understand it. So here's the law. Let's follow through with this. So now we're back to the tension we face. The tension is this 
that we want God's glory and we want our own. We want God, but we want control. God says to us, I'm, gonna, I'm going to show you what I want to give you, and, and, and I'm going to bless you because I know what's good. And we say, yeah, but it's not good enough because there's some things that we want. You left this out. See, God, God only asked Adam and Eve for one thing. He demanded only one thing, that they honor the fact that the Creator has some things in His creation that only He can own and have. And he said that tree over there of the knowledge of good and evil is only for the creator to have. You can't have that. Yet their desire was for that. It was an issue of recognized rights, and they actually wanted what they didn't need. I appreciate the words of Jack Hayford who said this, they didn't need God's power, only the blessings of his person imprinted in their nature. They didn't need God's position, only the promise of his provision to sustain their every need. They took God's portion, thereby losing what they thought they would gain, but what they already had as well. See, God insists that we honor what belongs to him. Listen to the rebuke he gives to that nation of Israel. When they are griping to him, you don't care for us. And he says, here's the reason you think that. The prophet Malachi said these words on God's behalf. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there'll be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. See, God doesn't need their money. God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. But here's the issue. Where we put our money reveals where we put our heart. And that's what Jesus said. You say, hey, you're talking Old Testament stuff. No, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. Jesus is making it clear. Loving him with all our strength means that I take everything that I have and say, here you go. Here, 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 here. It's all yours. I trust you with it. Because Jesus said, he said, why do you hang on to that stuff that's going to rot and it's going to rust and it's going to have no, no, nothing for you in the future? Why do you do that? See, well, wait, 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 wait. What are you, what are you just telling us to go out and sell everything and, 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 and just then have nothing? No, what he's saying is this. You let go of it so that, that it's loose in your hands and so that whatever he asks you for, you can give. And you say, well, where do I start? Because I, I think the Scripture shows us a starting spot. It's just the beginning stage. That if we follow Jesus on, on this way to finding his treasure, we, we find a place where X marks a spot. We start right here. And it's this thing about the tithe because Jesus validates the tithe. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders, and he said this to them, Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and of Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. 
But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus is not rebuking them because they're tithing. He's rebuking them because he's, they're not loving him with his whole heart, only part of the heart. They got the tithing down, but they don't have the, the reason for it. They don't have the passion for Jesus that goes with it. And when he says you should have, you should have done these things, understand that in the, the grammar there, that is a moral imperative. It means, yeah, you should be doing this. You say, but wait, Reisner, that, that, that's, that's Old Testament law. Jesus got rid of the law. Understand that Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law. That this thing that Abraham did as an expression of worship, God said, hey, let's keep that thing so that we don't lose it. And Jesus said, yeah, you keep doing that. Because it reveals who is Lord over your finances. See, the tithe goes to the one who's in charge. The tithe declares Jesus is ruler of my finances. So now just take a moment and breathe because you're all going, he's picking on our dollars. Look at you. He's just One of you just leaned over and said, I told you we shouldn't come today. <laughs> now just hang with me because this is such an incredible thing that God wants to do for us. From the scriptures we've just read, we understand this. When it comes to the tithe and the offerings that God asks us to give him, to keep it is to steal it. Those are tough words. So last week, if you were here, I gave away $100. Some of you say, you did? Yeah, that's what you get for not being here. I don't care if it snowed. (laughs) Some of you showed up here hoping I'd give another hundred, aren't you? So now I'm down a hundred bucks. So today I'd like to have a hundred back. So who has a hundred dollars on them? Chloe, you have a hundred dollars? Can I see it? Is that a hundred dollars? It is. That is really nice. Can I have it? Thanks. Now you you want to know why that was so easy? Because earlier I said, Chloe, here's a hundred bucks, keep it till I need it. <laughs> See, she had no trouble giving that away because it wasn't hers. Chloe's an honest person. If she'd have kept it, she'd have robbed me. And Chloe wouldn't rob me. I know where you live. <laughs> if I'm a follower of Jesus, And in the covenant relationship, I said, everything I have is yours because you gave it to me. And Jesus says to me, yeah, give me the tithe because that declares who's in charge. And I keep the tithe when he asks for the tithe. And I keep it because I need it for the car payment or I need it for the groceries or I need it for that vacation. When I keep that, I have just ripped off God. And you don't want to rip off God. Because he says, if you'll do this, then understand, like I did for Abraham, that what you think is your loss, in that loss, I still will provide. To keep it is to steal it. To give it is to release it. With giving comes his promise. He says, I will will rebuke the devourer. See, I talk to people who say, I can't afford to give in offerings. I can't afford to tithe. None of us can afford to tithe from a practical view. But the problem is, when we don't, 
God says, I, I can't move in and keep that devourer from, from tearing into your finances and costing you more things and, and the enemy attacking. I can't, I can't hold that back because the law is that, that if you tithe, then, then I'm the protector. If, if you tithe, if you keep it to yourself, then you're the protector because the tithe goes to the person who's running this show. So I, I would say to you, you can't afford not to tithe because here's what he said. I will push back the devourer. In addition to that, I will bless you. He said, test me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. He's not talking about lake effect. He's talking about these incredible blessings. There's a whole thing in the Scripture about sowing and reaping what you sow, what you sow, you reap, and what the measure you use will be measured back to you. And there's this wonderful thing that what you sow, God gives back in, in abundance. Appreciate the words of Randy Alcorn who says it's much easier to live on 90% or 50% or 10% of your income inside the will of God than it is to live on 100% outside of it. So I can just, I could, I could, I could interview a bunch of people here today who do this tithing and they could tell you incredible stories. Pam and I have been tithing since we've been married. We've been tithing for over 35 years, even when I lost my job. And I had to go find stuff. Had to go paint houses, had to go mow yards. It just had to piecemeal. And we, and we couldn't make our mortgage payment. But every month, we said, well, here's 90 for us and here's 10 for God. And we would, we would write that first. This is 10 for God. Because, we, because, you know, if you keep the 10 to the end, you can really justify. Oh, God, you don't care. You got stuff. And so I got to tell you that there were moments that we didn't have money for groceries and somebody would just arrive and say, I, I think I've told you this before, we had a guy that got a promotion in the Air Force, became a captain, and he said, God told me with the dollar increase to buy you groceries until you get a job. It was amazing. We couldn't pay our mortgage, and I got a letter from the IRS. I thought, oh, great, because you know the IRS can't do anything right. And in it was a letter and a check saying we had overpaid, and it paid for our mortgage. I can tell you that we went through our checkbook at times and could not figure out how we paid all our bills because we know we didn't have that much money. I don't know. One time, we were out of soap, and we don't want to stink, but we didn't have any money. We walked out to the mailbox, and there's a sample of soap. I said, God, I need a TV. No. Not in there. No sample TVs. The church secretary backed into our car. I thought, oh, no. The insurance guy came out and said, it'll cost about this much. And he just wrote us a check on the spot. We went to have it fixed. And the guy said, oh, I can fix it much cheaper than that. So what he fixed it for and what I had left over paid our mortgage. I invited her to hit it again. I'm just telling you, from 35 years of trusting him to be the Lord of my finances, we have never, ever gone hungry. Because it's not a trick, it's not a law, it's a journey of trust. To place it is to enable it. You say, well, where does my tithe go? Well, 
the, the, the procedure simply is you, you bring the tithe to the storehouse. The storehouse was where the community gathered to worship so that it took care of the worship place and it took care of the priests and it took care of the poor. It took care of the marginalized. It was that which was used to make the ministries go. So what do we do with our tithe? We bring it into the storehouse. You say, well, but, but I like this ministry over here. See, we have this tendency to want to control it. I tell you, if it's God, you can't control it. You got to take it where he says, take it. So, so, lady, if, 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 if you have a roommate and, and you're, you're both splitting the rent and the rent comes due and you've got your money out for your half of the rent and she shows up and says, Where, where's your other half? Cause we got to pay it today. She says, you know what? You know those really cute guys three doors down? They both lost their jobs, and they need it more than we do. You freak out. You say, no, 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 it goes here. It's simply this. The tithe goes to home base because if you put it anyplace else, it's an offering, and then you haven't paid your tithe. To share it is to increase it. I'm going to simply tell you you cannot give God but not so much that he keeps giving you stuff. See, we, we think if we give, and, and I'm going to tread on some ground here, but I I'm, I'm have trouble with the prosperity gospel that says give this to God and God's going to give you a Mercedes because Jesus is the one who said, why do you keep the stuff that, rents, that, that, that rusts and falls apart? Why do you want that stuff? Invest it where it's going to make a difference forever. And I, you know, God blesses us, and I understand all of that stuff. But if when I read in Scripture, he doesn't say, all right, tithe and give offerings so that you can increase your lifestyle. He doesn't even like the lifestyle on this earth. He's getting rid of it. What he says we should do with it, and the reason that he gives it to us is what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that what? You can be generous. On every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to whom? God. Not so that you can get your third TV. He said, I want you to be generous. God provides more so that we can be generous more so that when we find people who are marginalized and people who are orphans and and people who are just poor and people who need help, we have it to give to them because here's the deal. Jesus said, when you give it to the least of these, you give it unto me and it's an expression of worship. And then here's what he says will happen. Luke 14, 14, although they cannot repay you, these people, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He says, I will reward you. So what does that mean, reward? First of all, I know that it won't rot and it won't rust and it will last forever. Pam and I once received, actually it was a wedding gift, we received as a wedding gift a mustard and ketchup bottle containers. We thought, well, that's nice. We don't have any of these. We have five toasters, but we don't have any of these. So Pam got them out to use them, and she unscrewed them and realized it had dried mustard and ketchup in it already. They had just passed on what they had used. Not my idea of a great gift giver. We have another friend who who bought us, years ago, bought us a wonderful video camera. It was top of the line. It was just nice. We are talking to his wife about the gift. She said, well, the reason it's so nice is because he will not give a gift unless it's something that he actually would want himself. So here's the deal with God when he says, I'm going to give you what I want to give you. God said, I'm going to give you what I myself would really like. 
And you know how wonderful and how, how incredible God is. He says, I'm going to give you that. In fact, he said, you cannot even begin to think or imagine what I want to pour out on you if you trust me. So the question is, where's our heart? See, here's the sad news. Of those who follow Jesus in America, 50 out of 100 don't ever give a tithe or an offering ever. See, that's difficult to say you're following Jesus if our finances need to be where he is. Do you know that only six out of 100 people give a tithe that follow Jesus? So here's the deal. We're changing that. See, we told you God's rebirthing this congregation and that we are, we are becoming a, 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 a different community. And it's gonna, it, part of it's this. We're, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. We're going to just say, God, here's all our stuff right here. Whatever you want. Tithe offering. Because even if I keep my offerings, he says, well, that's mine. You've got to give that. So we're going to do that. And you just say, oh, I'm not coming to your church, hang out with you because you're going to want our money. I don't want your money. Jesus wants you to do what he wants you to do with it. And I will, I will just challenge you and say that if this makes you fearful, then you need to ask your question, am I really following Jesus for the right reason? Because if it's just for Jesus to be here, celestial Santa Claus, you're in deep trouble because he's going to come after you and he's going to test you. He says, I want to bless you and I want to bless through you. So you've got to come to the spot. So where do you start? X marks the spot. Start with the tithe. You say, I can't afford to tithe. I got, you can't afford not to. And so if, if, if I'm not giving God his tithe, then I'm ripping him off. So at least start working. I, I'd say, God, I, I don't think I can do 10, but I'll give you five. Can you hang on and, 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 and rebuke half the devourers? Whatever. Just, but start somewhere and increase it every month till you get to the spot where God says, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Here we go. Next week, I want, I want, to, I want you to have a principle that even takes you further than that, where, where there is this amazing release of blessings. I told you last week, I saw this work with a couple that came here to pharmacy school. They were from the Dominican Republic. And she, she came up to me, and her husband was going to the pharmacy school, and she said, Pastor, because she's from the Dominican, and that's how they say pastor, Pastor. Uh, we, it's going to cost us $95,000 to go to the school, and we don't have it, but God said we should come here, and he'll supply it, and then we're going to use this principle to make sure we stay right where he can bless us. And so this is a principle they used, and we'll talk about it next week. But I'm going to tell you that about a month before he graduated, she walked into this church with a check for $95,000 that came from a state that she didn't even know they were, they were privy to, and it paid his school bill. And she said, it's because I followed this principle. So we're going to talk about this next week. It's an amazing principle. So here's the deal. This is not some thing about relationship that comes from a book of, of rules that Jesus gives us. This is about Jesus ruling our hearts. And it makes it so much fun. That's the treasure we seek. Would you stand? If this morning you want to know more about this relationship with God through Jesus, we have a gift for you that will help guide you towards that relationship, and you can just get it at the information desk on the way out. 
just say, I want that, that gift that Pastor Jack was talking about. And so I encourage you now to take the truths of God's words and let them mull over and, and then let them come to action. Because I didn't tell you this at the beginning. When you hear God's words and, and you hear them clearly, you're responsible for them from this point on. And so you're stuck with this now. You've got to do something. Either say, yes, Jesus, or no, Jesus. But you're stuck with him. Ha, ha. It's not me. I'm just a deliverer of the news. Now you've got something to do with that. But God is going to mature us so that we can see the release, the incredible release of his finances so that we can continue to love people and to, to help those who are poor and marginalized and see not just this county and not this state, but a world changed as people give thanks to God for the generosity of his people and the extension of Jesus' love. So now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen.